Morning, everyone. You know, there are a lot of people who are good at a lot of things. A lot of people are good in business. A lot of people are good in sports. A lot of people are good in their hobbies. A lot of people are good at parenting. The list goes on and on. I I wonder what you are good at. And here's a question for you. I wonder if you are good at life. Because everyone wants to be skilled at living life. Everyone wants to live in such a way that provides benefit for themselves and for their family. And if you know someone who seemingly is able to navigate all of the lefts and rights and the ups and downs of life while maintaining a stable footing, you know someone who seems to be skilled at living life, someone who seems to be good at life. You know someone who seemingly has a level of wisdom. Wisdom is the capacity of judging matters rightly, matters of life and conduct. Wisdom is related to the ability to cope. Wisdom is experiential knowledge. Wisdom is the quest for self-understanding and for the mastery of the world. Simply put, wisdom is putting knowledge into action. Wisdom is being good at life. And today, as we continue in our series that we're calling From Old to New to You, we see and trace themes throughout the Bible into today and one area of biblical theology that God gives to us and for us is this area of wisdom. The Bible is replete with passage after passage in this reoccurring theme of wisdom. And as you begin to trace the thread you see that God gives us opportunity to gain wisdom, and as we gain wisdom, we become more skilled at living the life that he has for us. And the starting place to consider wisdom, of course, is God himself. Because God is the author of wisdom and is himself all wise. In some of the beautiful expressions of scripture, wisdom is talked about as a person. Wisdom is personified as being in existence before the world began and being under the possession of God. Listen to the words of Proverbs chapter eight, verses 22 through 31. This is wisdom speaking as a person. It says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. 
when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. What an incredibly artistic way to express the fact that God created the world and everything in it in perfect Wisdom. He is God. Nothing was out of place. Nothing was haphazard. He was perfectly wise in what he created and perfectly wise in how he ordered that creation in relationship to one another. And perfectly wise in how he ordered that creation throughout the generations of time. That is why creation reveals something of the character of God, as it says in Romans chapter one. That is why creation groans for the purposes and the people of God to be revealed, Paul says in Romans chapter eight. Proverbs 3.19 says, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. Not only is God's wisdom a possession of his in which he creates the world, but we see that part of God's wisdom is related to his divine omniscience or his all-knowing power that God knows in wisdom, he knows the hearts and the minds of humans. Everyone has heard of King Solomon, the wise, who sought wisdom from God and God granted it to him. But Solomon's father David reminded him of what God would see as he would take up the mantle of leadership and following him. This is what David says in 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. He says, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. Now listen, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. God sees and searches hearts and understands every plan and thought of each and every one of us. And this is related to his wisdom. And this means practically that there is nothing you can hide from God. You've heard that expression before and yet so often we are tempted to think that this time he might not be looking. But not only can you not hide anything from God, he knows your deepest 
thoughts and motives and desires that you are able to hide from everyone else. I think of the man who was parking his car one evening along the street, and as he was, he scraped the side of a Corvette. And the damage was minor, and it would be covered, covered by the owner's insurance, but the question remained, would he leave the man a note? And the answer was, of course because there were a lot of people watching. And so the man got out of his car, he took out his pad and his pen and he began to write a note. And this is what the note said. He said, the people watching think that I'm leaving you a note with my contact information, but I'm not. And he put the note under the windshield wiper and walked away. You know, some of us treat God that way. We think that maybe he's not watching or that maybe we can hide things from him or maybe, maybe we can even trick him into thinking that we are really well-doers when in fact our motives might be something other. But he is the all-knowing, all-wise author of creation, and he understands every plan and thought. When you begin to think about wisdom and being skilled in this life, the first place that you begin to think about it is with God. And if God is the author, then of all wisdom, then it becomes self-evident if you want to have this wisdom. He is the place in which you are to find it. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that God gives his people the ability to live in a wise fashion. And in fact, wisdom in the Old Testament is often divided into three different categories of wisdom. We have what's called perceptive wisdom, we have action-related wisdom, and we have the communication or communicating wisdom. Remember what wisdom is. Wisdom is the capacity to judge rightly in matters of life and conduct and to act accordingly. It's a quest for self-understanding and for mastery of the world. Wisdom is skilled living. And perceptive wisdom, as part of that, has to do with comprehending and seeing clearly the world in which we live. There are a lot of examples of this in the Proverbs. Here are just a few in Proverbs 15 and Proverbs 21. Proverbs 15, 17 says this, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox and hatred with it. That's perceptive wisdom. You would rather have the lesser meal and the table of love than the greater meal with the table of strife. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Amen? That's perceptive wisdom. They seem obvious in one sense, but when you stop to think about the choices that you make and the ways 
in which you navigate life and priorities. There's plenty of times where you would rather have the steak dinner than the dinner of herbs. There's plenty of times where you would rather have the, the luxurious surrounding, even if it means strife in relationship. But perceptive wisdom points us to seeing clearly what the values of life really are. The next kind of wisdom in the Old Testament is called action-related wisdom. This is conduct that follows from perceiving rightly. And in the Old Testament, this includes a, a wide variety of categories. It includes speech and remaining silent. It includes food and drink. It includes sex. It includes avoiding evil. It includes exercising prudence. This is what we, might we call succeeding at the daily ins and outs of life. Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28, gives us one example of this action-related wisdom. It says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. That is a way of communicating when you should speak and when you should not speak and how people around you will respond. Action-related wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, King Solomon again requests God's favor. And as he does, he is asking for the combination of perceptive wisdom and action-related wisdom. He says this. He says, God, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? The third type of wisdom in the Old Testament is communicating wisdom, and that focuses on teaching and exhortation and the evaluation of conduct for yourself and for other people. And the Proverbs is full of this kind of wisdom as well. This is the type of wisdom that's passed on from parents to children. This is the type of wisdom that's passed on from teachers to students. Proverbs chapter 1, Job chapter 28 point to this, and Proverbs chapter 8 verse 10 and 11 says this. It says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. And so when you begin to think about the ways to succeed at life, we're reminded that wisdom, wisdom that originates with God, communicated to us, adopted and engaged and put into practice, becomes the way that we succeed at life. The opposite of wisdom in the Bible is often called folly or foolishness or the people who are fools. And the Proverbs are replete with examples of the fool. 
The fool flaunts his folly, Proverbs 13. He has a hasty temper, Proverbs 14. He trusts his own mind, Proverbs 28. His heart rages against God, Proverbs 19. The fool returns to his folly again and again and again like a dog returns to his vomit, Proverbs 26, 11. But wisdom originates with God. He communicates it to his people, and as a result, we're able to navigate life in a way that is successful and pleasing to him. That is the dynamic of the Old Testament. Now, when you turn the page to the New Testament, because we're going from old to new to you, you see that God communicates his divine wisdom and his plan for us in an even more profound and full measure. And he does that because Jesus himself, as the Son of God, is the embodiment of divine wisdom. In Jesus, we see divine wisdom in his person, we see it in his works, we see it in his teaching, and we see it ultimately on the cross. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 2, chapter 16, shows us how the wisdom of God is expressed more fully than it ever had been in the Old Testament. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.24 says this. It says, To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. And this is not a wisdom that the world can give to us. When you think about the wisdom of the world, I wonder what you think about. I've had the opportunity to live in two of the epicenters of human wisdom that this world has to offer. We lived in Boston, Massachusetts for a number of years, which is considered to be the quintessential university town. We would regularly drive by Harvard University where students were being trained, where business leaders of the future were attending the business school, where future congressmen and even presidents were being trained in the School of Political Science. And then just down the road is MIT, the Massachusetts, of, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where academics are exploring the cutting edge of theoretical mathematics, where engineers are starting robotics companies because they've discovered a way to make machines do things that we never thought possible before. <laughs> where people in the aerospace engineering track are designing the next fighter jets for our nation or the next rovers that will land on planets that are currently out of our grasp. And when you're in such environments, and when you ponder what is happening in these places, and when you think about the people who have gone before us and what they've done there, you begin to ask the question, what kind of wisdom do we actually have? 
What kind of wisdom do we have in a church like this, <laughs> in a place like this? Amy and I had the opportunity to live in London, England for some time. And during our time there, in one square mile of central London, more money passed through in the midst of commerce and trade in that square mile than any other city in the world every single day. I've walked the libraries of Oxford University I've been in the shadows of the Towers of Cambridge, where for eight to 10 centuries, people have been trained for success in the wisdom of the world. And when you think about the acquisition and the application of knowledge, and what happens there, and who has gone before us, and what they've done, you're forced to stop and to wonder, what kind of wisdom do we have compared to that? <laughs> but all of this worldly wisdom is not the same as God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The wisdom of the world leads to a certain type of skill and benefit, but it does not lead to the wisdom of God which gives us the greatest skill for living right now and for eternity. And when we think about that and we think about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1.21 and the wisdom of the world, we ask ourselves the question, well, what are elements of the wisdom of the world? We could probably list a number of axioms that describe it. Things like more knowledge equals more power or strength leads to success or success is defined by what you have and more money equals a higher standing and working harder equals higher achievement and show me a sign or some evidence and I might believe what you're saying or be a generally good person and God will be pleased with you and bless your life or recognize that sometimes even though you're trying to be a good person you have to step over some other good people to get where you want to go in this world or possibly if it agrees with my philosophy and my approach then I might follow what you're saying and the list goes on and on and on we could list axiom after axiom of the wisdom of the world and of course we recognize that there are some truths in many of these things but in the end these things will not help you to know the author of all wisdom nor attain the ultimate wisdom that he has for you in this life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the wisdom of God who confounds the wisdom of the world he does so because the wisdom of the world honors strength and yet he was lowly 
He was not high and mighty. He displayed physical weakness in his beating and ultimate crucifixion. He didn't display strength by conquering his enemies. And in this godly wisdom, those who recognize that they too are weak due to their sin will experience strength that comes when they're ultimately forgiven by him. But if you perceive yourself to be strong, ignoring your sin and your need for a savior, according to the wisdom of the world, then you will ultimately experience nothing but weakness when it comes to the most important things as it relates to life here and now and life for eternity. The wisdom of God is that you need a savior. Jesus is that savior. And through your weakness and dependence upon him, you will become strong. That is wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And it brings you farther than the human wisdom of this world will ever bring you. 1 Corinthians chapter 130 says, because of him you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 says, we impart a secret wisdom and a hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And so what we see in this thread of the Bible is that wisdom begins with God. That God gives us the ability to attain wisdom. That Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's wisdom to us. And now where it hits home for you and for me right now is that you and I can have wisdom today. And it begins with the appropriate posture toward God and it results in a surrender to this Lord Jesus and then and only then will you be able to be good at life in the way that God defines being good at life. Let me just highlight three short verses for you that illustrate this point. Proverbs chapter 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and destruction. It begins with a posture of reverence and honor to God, to fear the Lord. Only after we recognize that God is God, his stature and his attributes as being supreme over mine and my thoughts and my feelings and my experience, then you begin, begin to gain true wisdom and true knowledge. But if you are the center of your universe, wisdom will be elusive to you. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is seeking the meaning of life. He explores all the enjoyments of the earth. He observes earthly success. He implores to what is just and true versus what is unjust and what is falsehood. And after experiencing all of these things, he concludes to himself and to us. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. The end of the matter. <laughs> All has been heard. Fear God 
and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us what it means to be wise, to be skilled in this life. He says you can't be wise without a very specific foundation. And that foundation is the words of Jesus himself. And so he tells the story that we've heard and sung many times, even as children. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house, it fell and great was the fall of it. And so when you take fearing the Lord in Proverbs 1 and fearing the Lord and obeying his commands in Ecclesiastes 12 and building your house upon the rock in Matthew chapter 7, how do you gain wisdom today? You might say that wisdom is gained by those who fear the Father and follow the Son. Wisdom is gained, skillful living is gained by those who fear the Father and follow the Son. Because everybody wants to be skilled at life. Everybody wants to be good at living. And here are five implications of that idea that wisdom is gained by those who fear the Father and those who follow the Son. Implication number one is that if this is true, if this is how skillful living happens, then daily surrender to the Lord Jesus to forgive you leads you to seeing things more clearly. Sin has such an incredibly blinding effect on us. And when you embrace sin in your life, your reality becomes distorted. Your desires become distorted and your actions become wayward, at least as it relates to skillful living according to God. It's like seeing through your sunglasses when they're fogged up. You see shapes, you can get a general direction but your vision is skewed. And if wisdom, and part of wisdom, is to perceive reality correctly, then don't we need the cleansing of Jesus every day to cure our distortion and help us to see? That's implication number one. Implication number two is pretty simple, but it's hard to do every day. And that is, obedience leads to wise living. If it's true that wisdom is gained by fearing the Father and following the Son, then your ongoing obedience 
leads to wise living. It helps inform what happens and it gives you a foundation to continue to build on. So many of us go through life and we do what we want to do and we see other people around us doing the same and we find comfort in the fact that, well, everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. I think of the story that Bob Russell once wrote and he said, my wife and I were visiting our son, Rusty, and his family. And one day Rusty was testing, uh, test driving a foreign made car and he was frustrated because he couldn't figure out how to change the speedometer from kilometers to miles. And that evening he suggested that we take all the kids out for ice cream. He said, we'll need to take two cars. So you and mom just follow me. And so I followed him. And I was surprised as a policeman whizzed up behind us with his lights flashing. I couldn't imagine he was after me. I didn't feel like I was speeding. And besides, I was only going as fast as the guy who was right in front of me. The officer came to my window and he said, Sir, you were going 58 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. But wait right here. I'm going to go deal with the car in front of you. And as the officer went to the car in front, he went and Rusty quivered. Officer, I know this is going to sound like a line, but this is my first day driving this car and I can't figure out how to change the speedometer from kilometers to miles. And so I had no idea how fast I was going. And the guy behind me, well, he's my dad. And he doesn't know what he's doing either. Following what others are doing doesn't mean that what you are doing is wise. God defines wisdom and he gives wisdom according to his perfect standard. And as a result, when you look at the Bible and you see the fact that God commands us to do certain things and you think to yourself, well, I don't really know if I want to do that thing. You no longer have to look at God as a divine killjoy that is somehow out to rob you of pleasure in this life. Yes, God calls you to holiness to be more and more like himself, but when God gives you divine commands, he's also displaying to you what wisdom really looks like in practice. Wisdom is gained by those who fear the Father and those who follow the Son. And of course, you know, right, when we say fear the Father, we are not talking about being afraid of the Father. We're talking about the use of fear that is honor and reverence and respect. Implication number three means, if this is true, this means that character building and moral resolve is more important for the acquisition of wisdom than other types of skill and knowledge. This is so important. If wisdom originates with God, then the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if Jesus is wisdom personified, and pers then, 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 then pursuing him 
is the greatest of all pursuits for you to gain skill in living. And yet, the world around us says, spend years continuing to learn knowledge in school, which of course is highly beneficial. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars on advanced degrees. We continue to better ourselves through ongoing training in our area of our field, but we often neglect at the very same time the type of efforts that will help us grow in true and divine wisdom. And so the implication, of course, is that character building and moral resolve is even more important for skilled living than these types of skills and knowledge. George Muller once said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first and great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Implication number four, if this is true, that wisdom is gained by those who fear the Father and follow the Son, then implication is that we train our children to be wise by God's standards, not just the world's standards. I have three young children, as many of you know, and so I understand the pressure right now more than ever. Get them into the right sport, devote the right amount of time because if you don't do it soon enough, they will be blocked out. Get them into the right camps, send them to the right schools, make sure you give them every opportunity to find themselves, to succeed, to be happy, even at all costs. Even at the cost of family time, even at the cost of church participation, even at the cost of intentional character development that happens between parents and children around the dinner table. This is the wisdom of the world. But this reality, that wisdom is gained by fearing the Father and following the Son, means that the greatest thing that you can do for your children to prepare them to live a skilled life is to make sure, first and foremost, that they understand who God is and to fear him. And that they understand who Jesus is and to trust him. And to understand what is more important in life than the sport that they're playing or the class that they are having or the instrument and the concert that is coming up. What is most important in this life and the next life, not by the standard of the world, but by the standard of God. And if this is true, implication number five, and here's another piece of good news, is that success for this life in God's paradigm is not success in the eyes of the world. Friends, if you gain the wisdom that God gives you and you move skillfully through this life the way that God would define it, then you need not be intimidated by the wisdom of the world. You need not think that you're a second-class citizen because you are mocked for doing things God's way. You need not feel like you are lacking because you don't make more money or have a bigger house or drive a nicer car. 
Those things are nice in and of themselves and they can often be signs of the wisdom of the world. But God's paradigm for wisdom is a pure and contrite heart, a sturdy and robust faith, an ongoing pursuit of righteousness. And if you have those things, then you will grow in the wisdom that God alone can give. Everyone wants to be good at life. Everyone wants to be skilled. The message of the Bible, from old to new to you, is that wisdom is gained by those who fear the Father and follow the Son. Let's pray and ask God to help us do just that. Father, we recognize that the wisdom of the world has many positive benefits to us in the short term and that the wisdom of the world has many trappings in it as well. Help us today as we reprioritize in our mind what wisdom actually is. God, give us perceptive wisdom as we fear you and trust you. Give us action-related wisdom as we follow our Lord Jesus. God, help us to share wisdom with others as we grow in obedience. God, help us to raise our children in wisdom that is from heaven rather than wisdom that is from below. We ask these things together for the sake of our good because we believe that it is for our good that you give us wisdom and for your glory as we live it out. Amen.